Welcome to our special service. Thank you for those of you who are joining with us online. Thank you for all of you that are you, who are here, for you who are visitors, a special welcome for those of you who are visiting and don't know, this is a special service. It is something that happens only every few years. It's a family celebration because we are ordaining and installing two of our finest young men, Tarek and Kingsley, um, as assistant pastors of this church and as teaching elders of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. And so this is an exciting landmark moment. Kingsley and Tarek, this is your special day. And you deserve it. You deserve this moment. You have worked hard. You have loved well. You have served diligently and you have led humbly. I am beyond proud of both of you. And I'm grateful to God for you. I'm looking forward to beautiful things from each of you as I have already seen in the past. There are many verses that I could have chosen, and I deliberated a long time over this, but I chose some verses that I believe will be helpful to you, but also to all of us. And so now, as we, as followers of Jesus, face this day that we have in our culture and in the church, our verses are taken from Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2. Let me read them for you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's Word. I come to you now at the turn of the tide. This is what Gandalf said. Gandalf the White. Gandalf newly raised from the shadows. Gandalf speaking to three of the fellowship in desperate and dangerous times. He came to help encourage them to keep on fighting, to keep fighting for good and kindness and love in a world gone dark and gray and evil. These words here from the writer of the book of Hebrews to Jewish Christians scattered over the globe by persecutions and wavering in their faith, these words have a similar purpose. They come to them and they come to us at the turn of the tide to challenge us who can fall into discouragement and wandering, to keep enduring and following Jesus in a world gone dark and evil and gray because following Jesus is worth it because Jesus is worthy. In these few verses, I will bring out two exhortations for all of us and for the two of you. Firstly, recognize the calling that you have been given, and we all have. Secondly, run the race that you have been given. 
and we all have. Recognize the calling and run the race. Recognize the calling from the first verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 12 begins with a therefore. It is there for a reason. It tells us that these exhortations are in light of what has already been written, which is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is a very famous chapter in the New Testament. It details a long list of people who lived by faith. We hear of Noah, who it says condemned the world by trusting God to enough to build a ship in the midst of dry land with no sense of a storm coming. We read of Abraham who trusted in the promises of God enough to obey and move to the land he had been promised. We hear of Moses and the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea in faith. And we hear of Rahab trusting God enough to help Israelite spies to enter the land. And we hear this about them and their endurance. They kept going despite not receiving what they'd been promised. Hebrews 11, 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then chapter 11 comes to a climactic conclusion with some sobering words. It says, women received back their dead by resurrection but some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Of whom? The world was not worthy of whom the world was not worthy. Kingsley and Tarek, everyone here, everyone online, these are the witnesses watching us, watching you, people of whom the world was not worthy are calling you to be people and calling us to be people of whom the world is not worthy. These are the shoulders we stand on. Kings and Tarek, we all stand on these. You stand on these. This is the story we inhabit. This is the drama we live. We are strangers and aliens. We should say as the author of Hebrews says about them in verse 15 of Hebrews 11, if they'd been thinking of the land of which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return, but as, as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is our truth men and women. We are the beloved children of God, the God who has come to redeem the world and is called to be agents of his love, his peace, his grace, his kindness, but at the same time that we are light and salt, we are aliens and strangers to the world he has sent us to. And these witnesses 
felt that paradox, lived in that tension, endured those temptations, and prevailed by faith. And they are witnesses to us in this moment. Watching from glory, they are passing the torch. You've heard that phrase. We are Canadians. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. We stand in the shoes of those who have battled before us. You stand in the shoes of those who have been challenged and tempted before you those who have been tried and rejected before you, those who have been beaten and stoned before you, those who have been crucified before you, and one who was crucified for you. Witnesses, watch us. This is your calling. This is who you are called to be, aliens and strangers inhabiting the story of aliens and strangers and salt and light and people of whom the world is not worthy. Implications, one, recognize the weight and dignity of this calling. Your present position was paid for by the blood of martyrs and the sweat of servants who came before us. We are called to be this kind of people of whom the world is not worthy. You are ordained, kings and Tarak, to help make this people, this people, that kind of people, people of whom the world is not worthy. You are ordained to teach eternally transforming things. You are called to shepherd a group of people who are constantly tempted by this world to waver and to wander and to wander away. And you are called as shepherds to love them shepherd them, care for them, and help them to live as aliens. Recognize the dignity and weight of your calling, but recognize to the joy of this calling. You are pointing people to an eternal city, a city whose foundation is God, a city that cannot be shaken, a city that is eternal in the heavens and coming soon, a city of endless joy and infinite peace. The promise is sure. That city is coming. This remedy you have really cures the evil in our hearts, really frees people from slavery to sin, selfishness, and idols. Jesus really saves people from the guilt of our sins. His cross work is sufficient, and his spirit really frees them from the from the corruption and the power of their sin. This is the joy of your calling. Live in that joy. And now Grace Toronto for us. This calling to be a people of whom the world is not worthy is not just for these two and those of us who call this our vocation. It is for all of us. You, me, we're all called to be people of whom the world is not worthy. 
They may be ordained to gospel ministry, but they ordained to call you and I to partner with them for gospel expression, caring for the world, loving the city, serving the poor, feeding the hungry, sharing the good news with the city. This is our responsibility. It is a hallmark of the biblical teaching that we are all prophets, all priests, all royalty, all queens and kings. Rahab is watching you. Moses is watching you. They are all watching all of us us. First point, realize your calling. Second point, run the race. Run the race you have been given. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The writer here uses an analogy of a race to describe our calling. It is a fitting analogy. He gives three very profound exhortations in the midst of this analogy. I will explain them and then give a simpler, more reduced title that's a little more memorable for you. I apologize for my alliteration, but I want you to remember these three. Firstly, prepare well for the race by stripping off everything that will hinder you from running the race. Run light. Secondly, run the kind of race that God has set before you. Not the race you want, but the race he gives you. It's a marathon. Run long. Finally, there's a way to run it and to be sustained in it, and that's by looking to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. Run looking. Run light, run long, run looking, run light. It says here, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The author here in this analogy of of a running competition of a marathon says that people who run stripped down so that they have the least amount of weight on them for the race they're going to run. In those days, they ran the marathon naked. That's how much they stripped down. Even in our days, they stripped down to the bare minimum and carry as little of weight on their bodies as possible. Our shoes are to be light, our clothes as light as possible. This is a picture for us. It's got two things. Firstly, lay aside every weight. Here the writer talks not of sinful things, Kings and Tarek. He talks of good things, but things which can be a weight to you. It could be a desire for comfort, stability, financial independence, a desire to be too influential, a desire to be respected or loved. What weight do you carry that is not sinful in itself, but for you may make you waver? For me, it was the desire to be respected and to be in a profession that was respected. And I remember being called out of my profession into ministry. And I remember driving and realizing God was calling me out of my profession, which was somewhat respected. And I began to cry. Now I'm a pretty emotional guy, as many of you probably know by now, but still crying in the middle of a drive is unusual. But I began to feel that though it's not wrong to be respected, it was a weight I had to give up. What is yours? Grace Toronto. What is yours?
Kings and Tarek, I want to tell you about some weights that ministry will give you that make it absolutely essential that you strip aside every weight because yours is a weighty race by nature of what you do. In the gospel ministry, you will have the weight of loneliness, as mentioned. You must be willing to be alone and misunderstood. You must be willing to carry that weight, which means you need to get rid of any other weight to be able to carry that weight while you run this race. You will carry the weight of the pain and the brokenness and the addictions and the marital brokenness and the loneliness of your flock. You must be willing to be uncomfortable at home. You can't just leave it at the office that weight if you're a shepherd comes home with you. You are going to lack wisdom in how to respond to a rapidly changing culture. You will not be able to be an expert. You're going to have to carry the weight of indecision and lack of wisdom. It's just what it means. You must get rid of the weights that might make you waver or slow you down so you can carry these additional weights. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily clings to us or entangles us. The Greek word here means to easily obstruct or entangle us. That is what sin does, men and women. It whispers that it will fulfill us or give us pleasure if we turn our affections toward it. And it does give us a pleasure. It actually gives us a double pleasure. It gives us the pleasure it promises us. And then it gives us this hidden spiritual pleasure of having gotten away with something we know we shouldn't have done. You see, when you get away with something you are guilty of and yet go free, there's a weird kind of joy in that, an illicit joy in that. Augustine, in his confession, said that as a young lad once, he stole pears for no other reason than the joy of stealing them. He didn't like the pears, didn't want the taste of the pears. He said, we derive pleasure from the deed simply because it was forbidden. Sin gives us the illusion that we're getting away with something. It's a counterfeit to grace because God's grace is exactly that. God's grace comes to you and God says, I know what you've done and I forgive it. Sin comes to you and says, no one will know what you've done and you'll escape judgment. God comes to you in grace and says, I know what you've done and I'll take judgment upon myself so you will escape. You see how closely sin counterfeits. You see how, why sin entangles itself into our hearts so easily. You must deal with sin ruthlessly. If you have a besetting sin, as I did, of a fear of failure. And you allow, you allow that to make you too impatient with results, too impatient with people. It will damage your ministry. If you have a besetting sin of vanity or greed or pride, you must crucify it, and the earlier the better. If I had not let my desire to be respected too much leash I would have been a better pastor and shepherd these many years. Kingsley, Tarek, deal with those things now. Don't carry them and nourish them. So many young women, so many young men have not dealt ruthlessly with their sin of pride, their sin of loving pleasure. So many young men and women have not dealt ruthlessly with the issues that dog them and it will come back and bite you 
Don't let it bite you. Church, it entangles all of us. Be wary. Be killing sin. Or it will be killing you. There is no middle ground. Be ruthless with the sin which easily entangles you. Firstly, keep a short account. Tell somebody. Go every morning to God and ruthlessly be honest in prayer. Secondly, bring sin to light. Admit it to someone who can hold you accountable and help you stop it, help you get over it, pray with you, and empower you to not want it anymore. Bring sin to light. Bring sin to God in prayer. Confess it regularly. And finally, bring God to sin. Bring the cross of Jesus and the beauty of God and the holiness of God and the grace of God in Christ to your heart and let it begin to expel sin because the more lovely Jesus is, the less lovely sin is to you. Kingsley and Tarek, there are particular sins that seem to bedevil those of us in ministry. They're respectable sins. They're easy to hide. They can be tough to be called to account over, but be wary of them. Be wary of wanting to be seen as the expert. Be wary of wanting to be seen as more godly than you are. Be wary of being impatient with the people that you're called to shepherd and quietly judging them. And be wary of comparing. We all compare. But it is a particular sin of pastors to compare themselves and their ministry to others. Do you want to be the pastor who's known for reading the right books, ministering in the right kind of place with the right kind of congregation? Kill that. Do you want so badly to be seen as kind and loving that you're incapable of confronting? You want to be seen as so strong you're incapable of holding back confrontation? Paul said this to Timothy after describing a wide variety of sins. As for you, man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Run light. Finally, run looking. Hmm. I mean, secondly, run long. I almost skipped one. You would have all enjoyed that. (laughs) Starting to feel like a marathon to you, I'm sure. Some of us, and I am one of them, tend to be like Gimli. I'm wasted on cross country. We dwarves are natural born sprinters, very dangerous over short distances. That's me. I sprint and stop. But we're called to run with endurance a marathon. It's different than a sprint. We need to conserve energy. We need to find the things that sustain us, find the drinks that nourish us and get us through and help us get through the wall. So, very quickly, infuse your lives, men and women, with things that encourage you to keep going for Jesus. Meet with people regularly. Tarek and Kingsley, who encourage you spiritually to keep going. Meet with people sparingly who drain you of the desire to keep going. Make room in your schedule for the things that feed you emotionally and physically as well as spiritually. Men and women, Grace Toronto, this is also for us. Make rest. Make Sabbath. Exercise. (laughs) 
Read good books that fill your soul. Don't just read the trendy books that everyone's reading. Watch good movies and good TV shows that nourish you, not just what everybody's talking about. When the world is breaking bad, fill your life with what is good. Finally, prepare to endure. Keep enduring in what you've called to do. In 1 Timothy 4.13, one of the passages I thought about, it says, until I come, devote yourself to the reading, the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands upon you, as we're about to do. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save yourself and your hearers. You hear that call to endure in the preaching and the teaching and the immersion of gospel truth. 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, exhort, rebuke with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Run long. Grace, encourage them to run long. Encourage them. The currency of pastors, believe it or not, is not money. We don't come into the pastorate to make a ton of cash. We come into the pastorate to see lives changed. Don't tell them about how gifted they are. Tell them about the impact of God in your life. Pray for them. Don't just encourage them. Pray for them daily and weekly. Pray for their spiritual and emotional protection. Sit with them when they need to be consoled and they're mourning. And by the way, be okay with something asymmetrical about your relationship. They will know more about you than you will probably about then. It's just part of the aloneness of pastoral ministry. There are things that are burdening them they can't share to you because it's about someone else and they have confidentiality, but it burdens them and you see it. Be okay with that asymmetric relationship. And finally, encourage their wonderful wives and family. Tarek, you wouldn't be here without Kathy. Kathy, you are the fuel that has kept him going. Hannah, you are the fuel that keeps Kingsley, there you are, going. We need you and we thank God for you. Congregation, help them know how thankful you are. Pray for them, encourage them, sit with them, and encourage their wives and family. Elders, be students of your pastors and your teaching elders. Learn what encourages them and feed them. Hold them accountable for what they're weak in. Help them to run long. Finally, run looking. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Here we see where the power comes from. It comes from looking to Jesus who is worthy. Why do you want to look to Jesus? 
Because Jesus ran light. He had no sin. He killed every temptation before it became sin. Out of love for you, he became your sinless substitute. He ran light. He ran long. Do you know that before the world was created, he knew about your sin? And he willingly accepted in his relationship with the Father, he willingly accepted to do this before the foundation of time. He knew that he would die for you and you and you and me, that before time, and he's run long, he has carried the burden of being the Savior and the substitute and the dying incarnate mediator for us before the foundation of this. How long has Jesus held his love for you in his heart and his willingness to die for us? And he endured for us. He became a man. He endured the cross. A sign of human rejection where cruelty criminals get human judgment by the fiat of Rome. But it was more than that. It was where divine judgment was passed on our sin into his guilt. He was made guilty for us. Kingsley, for your sin he died and took the guilt Tarek, for your sin, he allowed the nails to bind him to that cross. Grace Toronto, for your sin, he did this. Look to him. Look to him for the joy, it says, of seeing us freed from guilt, for the joy of seeing us freed from the power of sin, for the joy of seeing us to be adopted and then finally brought into the full communion with God and the eternal city. He did this. So keep looking to him for grace when the sins of your people discourage you, Kingsley and Tark. Look to him for the grace he's given you and find patience rising out of the grace he gives you. When the foolishness of us, your congregants, angers you, look to him for the grace of the time you and your sin angered him and yet he took the anger of God upon himself and find patience and grace look to him for grace and you will find grace for us and look to him for strength when the darkness of this world makes you want to give up think of the darkness he faced at Gethsemane and on the cross when the loneliness of ministry makes you want to change up and do something else remember when he heard Peter denying him abandoned and rejected and yet still he went and when the weight of shepherding makes <laughs> makes you want to just give it all up the weight of his father's wrath he willingly gave himself up so you could bear that weight he did it before you he did it for you he will do it with you for us he will return and take it from you with us. Let us pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace. May we now think of these witnesses who've gone before us, run the race that you have set before us, and look to the one who ran it before us, who is worthy of it all. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
We have time now for a song of response. I ask you to rise.